Welcome to NFT Rebels, the podcast where technology, creativity, education, and non-fungible experiences meet each other. It's me, Annie Alexander, and in each episode, me and the Rebels will have a real unscripted talk, share genuine opinions, and show raw emotions. Should we start? Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to the NFT Rebels. It's me, Annie Alexander, and today I have a very interesting guest. So today I'm talking to Penrose Deer. Penny is an anonymous basement artist portraying the manifesto of a changing society. Hello there and welcome, Penny. How are you doing? Hi, Annie. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Nice, thank you. So I, I think this podcast is gonna be slightly different because um you, you watched Iki's uh, episode which was on Friday and it was more uh sort of you know covering the community related stuff, uh more talking about the ego side of things and uh you know mainly focusing on the human interactions and human side of the NFTs. And I think today we will be covering more, um, you know, just, just looking at the NFT space in terms of what it is like, how it operates, how to navigate it. So that's why we called this episode Hitchhiker's Guide to the NFTs. So, um, yeah, so I guess it will be more educational, maybe. What do you think? Yeah, is that I think what we are aiming for? <laughs> that's that's the main purpose, yeah. And I think I think here for me, um, you know, I've been joining I've joined the space uh beginning of the year around March. Um and I'm I'm crypto native. I've come I come from a, a background that is more tech wise, uh even in my day to day life. And and what I've realized is that a lot of our of our, you know, um uh, people in the NFT community and uh, the NFT family, um, they're artists that navigate the space, which really shows that, you know, they're, they're pioneers, uh, because they are not necessarily crypto native. And I think, you know, we wanted to seize a bit this opportunity to, uh, maybe review a bit the basics, uh, understand a bit also how, uh, you know, the, the non-spoken rules and the best practices around this space. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very important because, uh, you know, uh, no matter where, whether you are crypto native or whether you understand the tech or not, um, that's the sort of, you know, the tech that you're using for NFTs anyway. So you are interacting with cryptocurrencies, you are interacting with wallets and, uh, whether you like it or not, like you're already in it. And, and I have a feeling that the, the the better understanding there is about this stuff, um, the the higher chances you have to to just you know keep things under your control and avoid any unexpected and you know undesired situations, right? Definitely, and and it goes back again to saying that digital hygiene, which is something that we really need to to wrap our heads around, um, it's going to evolve quite a lot uh, in the future and uh, in, in the coming years. And I think that it's important people realize what are the best practices in that digital hygiene, so that you can properly sleep uh, at night and not being worried about all your assets. Because um, I think I, I've seen a lot of mistakes. I've learned uh, the hard way. Uh, I made some mistakes in the past, and uh, those have been my hard lessons per se. But um, I, I would have loved to have somebody uh, from the start that would have told me this, you cannot do this, you shouldn't. And I really advise you to maybe uh, keep this that way. So um, hopefully we will be able to transmit that today. 
Okay, so uh, so maybe, I mean, h- how would you like to go about this? Would you like to start by talking about the potential risks or would you like to share with us about the mistakes that you've made? So I would, I, would, I would start by, um, I, I'm going to tackle a bit both. Um, and I think it's important to start mentioning that this space, and, and we both know it, and it's still uh, wild west as we, as we speak today in 2021. Um, there's still no regulation. Uh, it's still quite new. Um, we have different platforms uh, that, that allow to do these exchanges of services for NFTs. But the space in terms of NFT art and, and really from the artist itself, uh, this is still quite new. And and I see, for example, common mistakes in terms of private keys and wallets. Uh, and I've learned the hard way uh, in terms of scams, for example. And I think that's one of the topics that we need to talk about. Um, scams happen much more often than we think. Um, and it's all a matter of due diligence. Uh, again, you know, blockchain technology is something that is tamper-proofed. It's uh, irreversible. Once you make an, a, a transaction, you cannot go back. So it's you know it's the ultimate secure. Uh, tool, but at the same time, also it can be a bit of uh, you know that that, that poisonous double-edged sword uh, that can kick you in. So, private keys, for example, which is the essence a bit of the of the blockchain technology. Um, so many scams or so many websites, fake websites, trying to ask you to uh, put those you know those magic words in there so that they can get your assets. Uh, me, that happened at the very very beginning when I when I first started with uh, crypto, I I shared in a fake support page. Unfortunately, uh, I didn't do my due diligence, and I thought it was MetaMask support, um, and it wasn't. And you know, fortunately, I didn't have that much into that wallet, uh, but that was a hard mistake to learn. Um, so you know, th- these kinds of things, make sure that you always uh, you're sure who you're talking to. I think that would be mm-hmm. one of the first uh, <laughs> advices that I can give. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, kind of, you know, um, I think the dangerous part of this is um, the, the issue that in, you know, those who are crypto native um, during their experiences um, in, you know, in different phases uh, during their crypto journey, uh, they already have heard loads of different stories or, you know, they made uh, different mistakes. So they know about the possible dangers and they have grown to be more skeptical and more cautious by default already with the time. Here in the NFT space, uh, I keep saying, saying that, you know, the community is amazingly friendly and supportive and very warm. And that could sort of, you know, uh, be the reason why some people may think, may not be so cautious because we, you know, we trust and like the people around us because, you know, most of us are are really genuine people, right? So I think that that's where the difference is. Like, you know, in the crypto space, I have a feeling that we all by default are very skeptical and very cautious in the beginning. And then, you know, we end up trusting people. Here, maybe it's, you know, by default, we already trust and like them. Um, maybe. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I think it's, it's a good approach because um, it's, it's all based around trust, right? And, and what blockchain stands for is for, you know, for a trustless system. And I think that's mainly one of the main mistakes is that we, we still rely a bit on that trust when we do certain transactions. Um, and, and what you mentioned, for example, that um, uh, there's certain 
phenomena that happens uh, whenever we we are feel too comfortable in a community for example what you just mentioned we think that you know everybody is going to be uh, friendly with us and trying to help us out which you know generally is the case um, but then you have this you know one or two profiles that eventually will get you and and it stems from the fact that we we tend to over trust sometimes and that's one thing that people should be should be wary. Um, Overtressing could lead to to certain issues. I've seen, for example, uh, people getting scammed saying, "I will sell you a a bored ape if you give me, um, I don't know, an alien ambassador and a cool kitty." And and then they do the exchange, and then that you know that bored ape never happens, and you cannot revert those transactions. So again, you know, it's it's all based on trust. Uh, when you have also a certain hype, and and this is something that again I learned the hard way uh, during the ICO craze, uh, 2017, is um, w- when you have a lot of hype around something, you tend to pay less attention due to FOMO, right? You you have this fear of missing out, and then you tend to not pay attention. And and there's something mm-hmm. that you know, for, for especially in the world of NFTs, where you have things like collectibles, and you do have a lot of uh, conversations on discords and stuff like that. It is important to you know take a moment uh, when you have when you're in that kind of situation, take a moment and think again about due diligence. Um, so many scammers that pretend to you know be support for this project or that project, and um, some of them will tell you that transaction is stuck and. You just need to send 0.1 or 0.2 Ether to unstuck it, or um, they will tell you that they can provide you a specific collectible if you just send them the money directly so that they can mint it for mm-hmm. you. I mean, we've seen this happening. Um, and it goes again to what you're mentioning is that we, we need to be careful in terms of trust. Sure, there's a lot of people that will help you, um, but it's, you know, <laughs> again, it, it's a trustless system as long as you know what you're dealing with. And, and I think that's the first yeah. step that people need to take into account. Okay, yeah. So, so so let's dive in and let's talk about maybe like, you know, where do you start? You get into the place and uh, obviously, you know, the, the straightforward things and as an NFT artist, what you're getting used to and learn first are, you know, the straightforward things. Okay, you know, how, how to create an NFT, how to mint it, which which platform to choose and, uh, you know, how to sell it. Um, how probably to to open a MetaMask wallet uh, uh, because you can't use anything else, uh, any any platform without a wallet. Uh, so those type of straightforward things are, I, I think, most of the um, artists find out and learn first. Uh, but later on, like, what do they need to know in terms of to 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 make sure that they are secure, that right. they don't so- really get in yeah what are the the most common things to look into all right so let's just uh, one thing that i would mention is starting to know how to properly store your crypto and when i mention crypto it's not about all coins it's really also about the nfts nfts are non-fungible tokens they're still part still part of the cryptocurrency environment um they they should be stored in the same way um and and this is where we need to understand a bit what are the different kinds of storage uh, possibilities for our assets, right? And and I usually start with the same approach, which is decentralized exchanges, things like Coinbase and Binance and Qcoin. Um, and I do mention this because I see it happening a lot in auctions um, that people tend to load their MetaMask coming from another wallet, and that wallet usually comes from an exchange. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to state that it's that's one of the least secure things that you can do, uh, because what you're getting there is not really a wallet. What you have is an access to that general wallet from the from the exchange itself with a proprietary account means that you know how many tokens belong to you but ultimately you do not have uh, access keys and you do not have any kind of label of security 
other than the platform itself. If they get hacked, you basically lose everything. And like we mentioned, there is no insurance for these kinds of things. So if you're storing your money and your assets in decentralized exchanges account, um, unless you have a specific reason like staking or, or whatnot, I would really advise to move them from it, from there. Um, and then we go into what's really called the, the wallets themselves, right? Which is the main tool uh, that we all use. And in this case, you have two uh, kinds of, of, of wallets and it comes back again to those private keys. And, and I'll keep mentioning this. Um, nobody will ever ask you for your private keys, even in terms of support. It is, you know, under, under extreme circumstances, it might, uh, but it's, it's usually that's not the rule to follow. So again, you know, it all stems from those, uh, key because th that's what basically gives access to your, to your, uh, private wallet. And, mm -hmm. You need to understand what the process of custodial wallet and non-custodial wallet is. So hot wallets, which are wallets that are connected to the internet um, and to the blockchain at all times. Therefore, from one way or another, they still can be vulnerable uh, because you know you have you have MetaMask installed, for example, on your Google Chrome or Firefox extension. Uh, but if for some reason you have uh, a virus that is recording what's happening on your laptop or on your phone, you're not safe from that, right? And on top even of it, if you're logged out from it, even if you're logged MetaMask? out from it. You can still, because let's say that you have, you do have malware, for example, or spyware that simply records what you type on the keyboard. Um, and so with that, they could have access to your MetaMask while you're not watching and get access oh, okay. to your private keys. So mm -hmm. again, as long as it's connected to the internet, you will always have uh, a vulnerability. And since, you know, one of the most common mistakes is human error, that human factor, hot wallets tend to be kind of a touchy thing, right? And, yeah. and it's custodial wallets, it means that the private keys are stored on that internet connected application. And, and this is where it gets really interesting. And, and it's my, my main advice is that people should get cold wallets. Cold wallets are usually hard. You know, you have paper wallets, you have uh, hardware wallets, you have different kinds of wallets. But those are wallets that are not connected uh, to the internet. They're called what it's called non-custodial wallets. You are the one that keeps your private keys. Uh, they may be into that um, device, but they're not necessarily connected to the network. And therefore they're not necessarily hackable. So that means that it's very unlikely if you have a cold wallet, that's the most secure approach uh, that you can have to navigate this space. And you can, you can connect those cold wallets, for example, with MetaMask uh, and other applications, and that will save you a lot of hassles in terms of cybersecurity. Uh, because you know, even if somebody would find uh, your ledger, they would still need either your computer or your laptop with uh, your software on it and your password and the other way around. Even if they hack your MetaMask, they would still need to have access to your ledger, uh, which is in your mm -hmm. pocket. Okay, so, so basically, would you say that, uh, you know, if you have a, let's say, a cold wallet, which is uh, a non-ledger or treasure, and then you you just link it to your MyEther wallet or MetaMask, that combination keeps you safe because you, you keep your keys and you use your hot wallet to access, uh, your cold wallet to access your hot wallet. And that, com you know, only if you have, you can use both at the same time, you can actually access your your funds is that it exactly exactly it's it's a bit like well, i'm trying to put the an example to it would be the two-step verification it, yeah. it it serves a bit the same purpose okay got it um a question in that case because um you know i i don't know what happens in the nft space that's why i'm gonna ask you like to clarify but like the analogy that I'm seeing is um, like my personal debate in terms of, you know, cold and hot wallets or keeping the coins on, on, on the exchange and stuff like that is that 
sometimes when we have like a big spikes or big movements in in the exchanges in, in the exchange rate of let's say ethereum or bitcoin right um everyone starts moving doing exchanges selling or buying um those coins and usually when you have it on cold wallet what happens is all these centralized exchanges somehow end up with all these technical issues and it's almost impossible to to make the trade on time uh, to just you know get access to your coinbase or binance or whatever to actually put your coins from cold wallet to the exchange to make the trade when it's time sensitive so is it the same thing with nft trades or how does that it's work? actually the same thing. And this, this is um, one of the main issues, per se, uh, of cold wallets. I, I will say, though, that um, in terms of Ledger and Trezor, both have gotten really, really fast in terms of data transfer. So it's, you know, it's still going to be an extra step, of course. Um, but then what I would suggest, it, that really depends on the kind of profile uh, of user that you are. If you're somebody, for example, a collector um, or a, an artist that means quite a lot and you need to have uh, some liquidity, in that case, it's more interesting to have some reserve in the hot wallets like MetaMask. But if you're really keeping, um, let's say, the big pile of your assets, that should be still stored in cold wallets. Yeah. So, so anything that you huddle just keep it on cold wallet anything that you might want to trade like really like very fast then it, it should be because i think the problem is with the exchanges not the the cold wallet itself it's that exactly. the exchanges are being down <laughs> so you can't really get into and that indeed that and that's also i mean you know for example gas is the same thing right when you have um, oh, yeah. a bull run or, or a sudden drop and and then everybody's rushing to these centralized exchanges or to, or to sell their stuff um then you're going to see gas uh, rise quite fast and that extra step might indeed cost you some some extra money uh and that's like i always follow the same rule is keep part of your liquidity in hot wallets so that you can operate uh and and really use your cold wallet as your safe your digital safe and vault yeah it uh, keeps safe really yeah and also take into account that cold wallets um they do allow for certain services like for example staking so don't mistakenly believe that the only financial services that you can get are directly from decentralized exchanges they can also be done through the cold wallets and really then in that case you would be profiting mm -hmm. from your assets in a really safe approach okay makes sense so so yeah Anything you have very valuable and don't plan to sell anytime soon. I mean, anything that is really super cool and very precious to your soul, just keep them in cold wallets. I, uh, that, that's my conclusion, basically. <laughs> Simplified Definitely. version of what you said. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, that is clear. So uh, do you have any particular cold wallet that you recommend uh, or prefer? Or, you know, are there more or less at the same security level? They're about the same. It really depends if you're going to have a lot of altcoins. Um, in that case, I advise you to go really into detail about Ledger and Trezor, which one can host um, which altcoin you're looking for. I mm -hmm. personally like a lot of uh, Ledger. I have nothing against Tracer. It's an excellent product. Um, but Ledger has some sort of, you know, it has a support, customer support that is really focused uh, in-house. It's it's really, mm -hmm. really well addressed. Um, and they have an excellent app integration also for, you know, specific financial services that is very, very useful. So uh, you cannot go wrong with either Ledger or Trezor. If you're asking me personally, I would go for Ledger. Okay. Makes sense. Okay, let's move on. So now we know where to keep our stuff safe. Um, let's see what's happening next. <laughs> All right. So 
Um, one thing that, you know, now that we've covered, let's say the topic is on how to operate. Uh, and I think for newcomers, it's important to understand a bit the different types of NFTs and what this space is really about. Um, and that's something that, you know, I, I talk from, from my personal point of view. When I joined the space, I was not expecting to see, um, so much let's say, unspoken structure uh, and, and an industry that is yet to be defined, right? And, and there are these, uh-huh. so many unspoken <laughs> rules and different approaches, and it can be a bit confusing and overwhelming at first. Um, and so I thought, you know, let's just quickly go a bit into understanding really NFTs, what it's all about, what this industry can offer, right? Because mm-hmm. artists tend to to explore. We tend to explore quite a lot. We, we try new things. Uh, artists that are into the space particularly like to try new things. So I think it's important for people to understand what the utility uh, is. And, and you know, it starts to say uh, that NFTs is much more than just art, right? There are NFTs that also serve the purpose of utility um, or certain services, right? Um, mm-hmm. For people that work uh, and, and uh, you know, not in the art world, let's say in more in the industry, uh, supply chain, for example, NFTs will help a lot in terms of uh, supply chain, blockchain enterprise. So companies yeah. are starting to develop their services with this kind of technology. Um, Annie, you and I would discuss also at some point the ENS, right? Domain, domain server, yes. domain name, sorry, for um, Ethereum websites, for example. Uh, these can be done through uh, NFTs. So it's really to, to show that there is much more than just the art. There's really a utility. Yeah behind yeah, it and uh, any any industry that needs proofs of authenticity like l- the luxury goods for example and exactly. uh, you know is another application kind of you know of the technology that will be very useful as well so we won't have all this you know we will know that it's a fake Louis Vuitton bag for example eventually uh, we can verify that at some point yeah and and that's actually the next that takes me to the next point, which is authenticity, right? You 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 want to have that proof of authenticity, and that's what changes a bit the game um, for the artists in this industry. Because first of all, it's a tool that is directly to them and for them, right? It's it's again NFT art, what people call crypto art. It allows artists to put it on the blockchain. It allows it to be traced, which you know involves, for example, the royalties that you will get forever paid whenever your art sells, which is yeah. not necessarily the case today, uh, let's say in real life. Uh, not in the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that you know you're able to to make uh, one ones or multiple series based on your kind of product or approach, and and you know we might think as artists that make one one on one editions, but there are also a lot of artists in in illustration that do uh, posters and stuff like that that they can now benefit from this service as well. Um, so there you're really entering into the niche of the NFT crypto art. And and that's something that we've heard a lot um, over the last year, basically. Before that, it was used, for example, for uh, the sports industry, collectibles as well. And and that's the next point, right? Uh, But art is um, something that is on the rise right now. Um, It was not the initial stage, per se. And, and then it takes us to the collectibles, which I think everybody uh, in this space, whether they're really an artist or whether the collector, even if they are not necessarily in the crypto space, everybody's heard about collectibles, right? Um, when you hear about the crypto punks, uh, me bits and whatnot, um, collectibles are really something unique because they depend on community. And, and this is where we have a product that can be very, very um, weird <laughs> in a certain way, right? Because if you don't have the community behind it, uh, it, you will not get traction. But also there's a certain point having an NFT. You will have NFTs, for example, at the CryptoPunks, which are more, let's say, uh, collectible genesis uh, of the blockchain Ethereum. Then you have things like, for example, board uh, apes, which give you uh, proprietary rights and derivative rights to, to be able to sell uh, T-shirts, skateboards, 
whatever you want to do with the NFT that you purchased. They um, look then super you have, cool, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they 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 are then yeah. DGens as well. DGens, you know, they they're really back by super community. Uh, they they get yeah. to do a lot of things together. They, I mean, it, it's amazing. And there's a one uh, that is coming up. You know, the one from Sly Guys, which is going to be quite huge as well, because that one is purely built up from scratch in terms of community approach, and and it's really involved with people from the crypto community, not from outside, not necessarily celebrities. It's really mm-hmm. much more towards the essence of what we stand for per se um so yeah. you know th- these collectibles um they're quite a statement but they prove again certain utility some of these nfts will give you for example uh royalties if we sell products from those collectibles and if they're royalties if you have that token right there's a proof of membership per se and you will get some royalties so yeah. it's important to understand what you want to sell uh in the nft industry because you have a lot of different things that are already there and of course, so many things that you need to innovate and we still need to create and hopefully we will see more of it. But, you know, do not let a certain trend um, narrow the vision that you have for this industry. If you want to mix collectibles and utility, do so. If you want to mix art and, and services, you might as well do that as well. I, I You know, again, it's an open space where still yeah. a lot you can mix and match. Yeah. Definitely. Exactly. I mean, since exactly. since we talked about risks and, you know, now you mentioned collectibles. So, you know, one of the risks is when when you are uh, planning to buy a very expensive collectible like, you know, punks, for example. Um, how do you make sure that it's the genuine punk? Because I know that, you know, some of the very expensive collectibles have their fake versions. And, you know, there have, have been many people who, who bought the wrong uh, thing on OpenSea and lost money, etc. Is there any way to verify? what you're getting i mean uh, i guess there is but how do people do that so you do have um let's say established tools right um where based on a project you can see whether that nft is actually from that project usually the the collectible community will have a particular discord a particular website also where uh, it was originally minted um, mm-hmm. Unless it's through a specific platform like OpenSea, um, so that's always a good point is to go and check on the actual website to find out that uh, particular token. Just take the ID and you verify it on there. Another option uh, would be, for example, to go on uh, Rarity Tools, which is something that is quite helpful. Now they might not all of them be there, uh, but in here you can really look at all the different collections. Uh, let's say, for example, you go to CryptoPunks. Uh, it's Rarity Tools. That's it. And in here, you will have all the different um, collectibles from that category, from that collection, um, and you will be able to trace them. So you will see uh, on OpenSea, you can trace the wallet that has them. And in it, that's the moment that you know where you have a true thing uh, in front of you or or a scam. Okay, rarity.tools, right? You said. Yes. Okay, cool. Okay, so uh, fine. So we basically uh, spoke about how to keep what you've got safe. Uh, we have all these different varieties of NFTs that you you know we understood what's the difference, and we also understood that we can kind of mix and match and sort of take different elements from each and come up with new formats. Um, there are basically no rules uh, in this game. It's very early, so you can come up with creative ways to differentiate, I guess, by by adding different features and utilities to your NFT project, basically, right? I mean, that's kind of... Uh, you can play with it and you can innovate even because uh, I have a feeling that sometimes we just keep repeating and copying what we've seen over and over again. 
and I think like, you know, the board apes example was just that, right? They added this additional utility. They changed the game by being the first one to offer the copyright. And then it kind of, you know, brought so much additional stuff to the whole thing, right? It brought more incentives, uh, more kind of, you know, interest from people. And, you know, and I have a feeling that it's really super cool because not only it gave possibility for people to earn, uh, you know, earn money from their derivatives and from their merchandise and from, you know, utilizing their copyright. But it's also a free marketing because every time they sell those branded skateboards, there's, you know, every time they sell those branded T-shirts, um, et cetera, et cetera, it's, it's like a free marketing for the project and, and vis- more visibility to it. So I think that was like super smart. Indeed, that's the fact that the community is able to have so much control over a project, right? Because if you don't have the community backing you up, then eventually that, that will go corrupt. And, and this is the beauty of it is that there is an incentive towards the community. Therefore, the community will actually help. Uh, and it's a two-way street. So I, I love the fact of having a product that can really uh, put those two together. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, sounds cool. So, um, so do you care to um, share your mistakes? What did you have uh, so, as a mistake that you made? I've done, I've done quite some mistakes. Um, in, in terms of, um, let's say, approach, right? Um, I started the space. Uh, I, I had something that I was working on. And I started to put it out there. And I think one of the main mistakes that I did was not trying to understand really how the space works uh, in terms of collectibles, one-on-ones, the kinds of uh, sales that there were, the, the different trends. Um, and let's say the spoken and unspoken rules. Also, when we come about pricing and certain things, um, I think that the... Although we need kind of, you know, diversity and different approaches, there are certain unspoken rules uh, in terms of how do you enter this space, right? Um, and then you will also start seeing different kinds of platforms, uh, people asking to enter directly uh, to foundation, makers place, then you have the open platform. So my main mistake was not knowing where to start. And I uh-huh. think a lot of people can relate to that because um, yeah. you have so many platforms and you don't know really which one should you be using. Um, you might have 100 followers on, on Twitter. That doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to sell. You might have 10,000 followers and you might not be able to sell. If if you don't have a specific strategy and approach to it, um, it can be very difficult. And I think that was, was, was one of the f- first mistakes that I made was not to take the time uh, to actually look into that. Mm-hmm. So let's look at the, into that because I have the same issue, right? I, you know, there are too many platforms out there. Uh, when I'm looking at all of them, unfortunately, none of them is yet decentralized and peer-to-peer, although some misleadingly claim to be, but they are not. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to give any names, but basically, regardless how they position themselves, we all know that they are all centralized. So that in that para- with that parameter, there is more or less no difference. Um, and then there are different platforms that are kind of differentiate themselves based on how exclusive they are and how inclusive they are, kind of, you know, a little bit of kind of, you know, how easy it is to get there and whether it's open for all, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then there's different variations and differences between, you know, how costly they are, how big they are in terms of, you know, user base, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, 
too. Like I, I, I've been asking this this same question in different Twitter spaces. Like, guys, how did you choose which one to start with? Because I truly believe that you shouldn't be only on one platform. It's very dangerous to put all your eggs into one basket, uh, especially if that platform doesn't belong to you. And in this case, since all of them are centralized, none of them belongs to you, right? Um, so how do you pick the one to start from or like the ones that are good? Uh, like, how do you compare? Like, what do you look at? So I think you're mentioning one important thing, which is the fact that it's not necessarily decentralized, right? So on that, let's say that criteria is not going to be part of things that you're going to look at. You don't have right now one of those yeah. platforms. You're going to have to wait for it. So definitely that's something you take out of your of, of your evaluation yes. element, right? Mm-hmm. But for me, there's really three things that you can take into consideration. Um, and it starts all by deciding what kind of blockchain platform do you want to use, right? Are you going to be more into uh, platforms that accept maybe fiat, right? So certain people want to mm-hmm. buy uh, NFTs with actual money. Um, uh, other people will prefer Ethereum, Tezos, Cardano. I mean, there's so many other platforms that allow so many different coins. Um, and it really depends on what you want to use. There are a lot of people, for example, that will be uh, climate conscious, right? And they will try to use uh, blockchains that consume much less energy. Um, because that's that's their choice, and hopefully we have a market that uh, is able to provide those kinds of services. So, really try to analyze what is the the blockchain uh, environment that you want to put yourself on. And it, you don't need to put yourself on only one. You can you know aim at different, but um, don't try to replicate. I would say don't try to replicate exactly the same thing uh, in different platforms. That's let's say an, an approach to to more professionalize um, your offering. Um, and then the second thing is going to be really what is the product that you want to put, right? Because um, a lot of people will think about making one once, others will think about making multiple series. Um, and, and that's the thing. You really take, need to take the time a bit to see what's on the on the market, see how the market operates. What is it that you want to do if it's a series and mm-hmm. you want to make the 10 editions? Again, take the time really to, to define your product because that's going to define a lot of the platform that you're going to use right? There's a lot of people that uh, want to do series. And when they want to do multiple series, they cannot choose a certain platforms because they only do one-on-ones, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that means that those they, they will not be able to target a specific segment because, well, you know, those people only operate, let's say, in super rare or foundation, right? So if you want to do series, you need to get out of that. And you need to look at something else. So it's, it's not a small step because at some point you're going to have to work, let's say, a bit to get into certain platforms. Uh, you mentioned it. Huh? Not all platforms are free of access. Certain are going to be curated by the community. Others might be curated uh, internally by the platform itself, itself, like Super Rare or Maker's Place. Um, and you know, if you're going to give yourself so much hassle to get into a place and then you find out that it's not necessarily what you wanted, again, it's a lot of time that you lost, right? So mm-hmm. selling method, um, understanding how you want to do that approach is going to define the kind of platform that you want to have. Um, and also think, you know, if you want to have sales and fiat, for example, you need to have platforms that allow that, right? Um, certain websites will allow auctions while others won't allow it. So again, um, I think if I would have known all that from the beginning, I would have taken maybe a few weeks to just come up with a strategy and really looking into it. Um, and the thing, mm-hmm. my mistake here was that I learned about uh, Rarible, then I learned about Open Space, and suddenly I learned about Super Rare, and then I learned about Makerspace. I, if I would have known all of that from the beginning, maybe I would have done things a bit differently. Um, but again, mm-hmm. you stumble about this information as you get along uh, and as you go deeper into the NFT community. Uh, and so, again, just a few tips to really understand what the game is about. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, all that is important and very valid for points. But like, I, I also know that usually creative people are super impatient at the same time. So, you know, once we start working on a project, we kind of, we tend to rush things and we're very impatient. We're, we really want to see what the reaction will be, how it will go, right? It, it, it's just, I don't know, like I, I, that's kind of the impression that I'm getting. I'm that kind of person. And when I talk to people, <laughs> I have a feeling that that's, that's kind of, you know, the type of people that are um, mostly out there. Um, and I think it's, it's a very interesting you mentioned that because uh, that needs a little bit of research. That, first of all, I, I have a feeling like the confusing part is the following. The more research you will do, the more details you will discover about the platforms, the more ideas you will have about how you want to structure exactly. your project. On the other hand, like when you know what is your project about and how you want to structure it, it will be easier to compare and pick the platform that fits that need best. So it's kind of a chicken and egg kind of thing, it feels, right? Well, I, th I think that, you know, if, if you know what you want, and in that case, just you know, doing that research is just going to help you define really what, what the channel of distribution is going to be, what platform should you use. If you don't know what you want and you're still exploring, then that research is going to help you maybe get more creative and further develop your product, not so much the, the, the let's say, the delivery of it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that research, in, it cannot hurt um, because it, it will change uh, your perspective on how you do things because you will have much more knowledge. So it, it can be, I mean, don't get lost in the research. I think that for people that want to go into the details, that can be a rabbit hole. Um, but definitely just take a bit the moment to go through those basics and really take the time to just look at the different, you know, kind of platforms that there are, the, the different criteria, establish what is important for you, right? And, and yeah experience new things if you want to look for a new platform again if you want to experience something different make sure that it aligns with the kind of product that you want to deliver and and you will find the right platform yeah and and i think like you know i, I will try to have um you know people from different platforms over on on the show so you know uh we will try to get different information and kind of you know um you know, tools and features of those platforms directly from uh from people from the platform teams as yeah, well um so that that would be kind of you know important i think to see uh you know how they see things uh what the plans are for the future etc uh to me there is one parameter that is very hard sort of to to research, um, but it's very important because I mean, to me personally, because I'm very customer-centric person and I work in marketing. So I think that the platforms that care most about their users on the long term are going to be the ones that are going to win on long term and are going to be around and are going to grow better. Um, and that is a parameter that is not very straightforward, right? Like how do you actually research that part until you become a user and, and experience that yourself. I don't know. Like, is there a way to, to find out about those? Well, I think first thing is that you need, you need to really have your set of tools to follow uh, these developers, right? Because they're, they're shaping a bit the way we do things in the industry. Um, and they are also the people that are going to develop the features of tomorrow. So, um, you know, found, if you take Foundation, for example, at the very beginning, uh, you didn't have this uh, catalog where at some point in the front page you could scroll through uh, the activity 
on the website, the new things that have been minted. That that came only later. Um, and I think it's important that, you know, whether it's on Twitter or on Discord, wherever you can, if you're interested in a particular platform, really engage with them. Ask them what they have foreseen, ask them how it works, um, if, whether they have new stuff coming up. Because ultimately what you want also is a platform that is able to evolve, right? Because mm-hmm. th- this space is going to change quite a lot. We, we're only at the very, very beginning. Um, in the future, you might have a website that will sell you services, art, and uh, collectibles all in one place. Um, you, you might have different services for different things. I think it's important for platforms to start taking that into account. They are going to shape the space. Um, for you as a user, it's all about staying updated really looking at, um, you know, how do they promote their artists on Twitter? Do they engage with people? Um, really try to engage with them because there is no other way to really figure out uh, behind the curtains how it works. Usually these spaces, the, these platforms, they all have a Discord, right? So it could give you also a sense of the team behind it, the community that supports it, what is their roadmap? Um, and that's an advice that I keep I keep giving is, you know, do not be afraid about engaging with people that we mm-hmm. still need to define a lot in the space if we all stay in our corners and don't necessarily communicate even if we think that you know there are certain things that should be improved even if you think that you might be wrong do, do engage it's always added value yeah no i totally agree with you um okay it feels like we covered like the risks, the dangers, how to deal with them, the differences in in the NFT types, um, different platforms, how to look at them, what are the different parameters to look into. Uh, Let's say we got through the whole thing um, and, you know, um, we have figured that part out. Obviously, we have created the program and we have minted it on the platform we chose. I think the biggest challenge that artists are having at the moment is exposure and promotion and sales. Indeed. So um, how would you approach that? I mean, my my personal sort of idea is that probably you should start the promotion and the teaser campaign and, you know, building the community and everything else way before you have minted anything. So by the time you know, it's there, you already have a certain number of people that anticipate the launch and can trigger the initial traction. Um, but what what's your approach for those? I, th- I think people need to understand that, you know, again, you have the power to sell um, and, and reestablish a branding uh, behind what you have, and, and that comes also at a certain price, right? And and we do we do not have uh, media co- companies that handle that for us. Unfortunately, a lot of the artists in the space they handle the social media uh, by themselves. And and I think it's one, like you said, it's one of the biggest challenges, which is that exposure uh, in a space that is quite new, uh, where the main channel of communication is still Twitter. Because um, you know, I mean, I'm not going to get into the details about Instagram, but I for me, Instagram is uh, definitely a no go. Uh, for NFTs. It, it requires way too much um, engagement. It requires to make constant content. Um, as an yeah. artist, it's impossible to keep up uh, to those standards, right? Yeah. And and the whole main purpose of Instagram is that you basically purchase services so that you can promote your stuff. But ultimately, that's not the authenticity that we want, right? And also, I have the impression that a lot of the collectibles that we have in the space, because they're still very, you know, crypto native and they understand what the movement is about, because it's much more than just technology, right? That there's a, mm-hmm. there's a mindset and there's a movement behind it. Um, they tend to prefer that authenticity. 
And that's where indeed I would suggest that, you know, you use Twitter as the main tool. Uh, TikTok is good, but again, for NFTs, <laughs> the crypto community itself is going to communicate through Twitter. Might as well just do it there. Um, and then, of course, you need to have some sort of, of let's say, roadmap for your piece. Some, you need to start doing some campaign before you mint, indeed. Uh, but you need to start giving also some work in progress. Um, unfortunately... Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, if you if you don't have enough followers, um, you know, let's say you have 100 followers, you, you will not be able to get the traction visibility that you need. And that's where you need to look uh, in the NFT community. You need to look for profiles that are specifically designed for these kinds of purposes. Right. I'm going to take one as an example, which is NFT freaks. Right. Um, yeah. Quite known in the NFT community, uh, some 30K, almost 40K followers and, and, and growing. Um, and, you know, th- this guy has, has done quite a lot in terms of uh, exposure and whatnot. These profiles will usually have, a, a, let's say, a slot for you in the week to shill your art because yes. there's so many unspoken rules about shilling. Right. <laughs> Don't shill when, it, when it's not welcome, which is something that a lot of people keep doing the mistake. Right. At least have the courtesy of saying sending it in DM, not publicly posting uh, under a, a thread that has nothing to do with it. Yeah. But even if in the in the DM, if it's not unsolicited and it's the first message ever to the person, yeah, exactly. maybe I mean, that too is not a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly the point. There are these unspoken rules. There's a certain etiquette that you have to keep uh, in the space, right? And and again, the, thankfully we have people like NFT culture, uh, uh, NFT freaks, uh, real mess NFT. You know, we we have so many people that actually are uh, doing quite a lot about exposure. And and yeah. I think you need to set yourself also with the right tools, uh, not only social media uh, in Twitter, but I think also try Showtime. Um, and that's a tool that I, you know I strongly strongly advise because um, it's a bit. A try Showtime, yeah. The main the main purpose here of of um, try Showtime is basically Showtime. The, the website is called tryshowtime.com, and what this website does basically it it displays the NFTs that are held in a particular wallet. So it becomes um, your let's say your portfolio about you know the products that you have, that your creations, what you have collected. Uh, it's really your your profile as a as an NFT member of the community. Everything you will find it in Try Showtime, and the thing, the interesting thing about Showtime is that you can also add um, wallets from different blockchains. So not only Ethereum, you can also include, for example, Tezos uh, wallet, right? Mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. we all know that uh, Hick and Nung, for example, offers you uh, the possibility of getting art at a cheaper rate because a lot of people that want to share uh, art and they use that platform for specific reasons. You will be able to link it here as well, um, and mm-hmm. it's a tool that I advise to every artists and every collector because it really allows you to have this digital identity in the nft community where what yep. you have to say created is displayed. so i mean for me this is the the minimum requirement for every nft artist mm-hmm. what would you say about i mean it feels like you know there are different platforms there are different tools uh we have like social media and most of our efforts go to growing our twitter accounts but all those don't belong to us like shouldn't we have our own website or our own email list like I, i'm so cautious about the fact that if it doesn't belong to you like twitter account may get suspended at one point or you know the platform may shut down your account like how do you like make sure that the audience and the um you know and the community that you gather around you you actually don't lose it and you have a direct access to them which you know that access belongs to you and is under your own control 
So what you have here again, you know, it's the tokens. Don't forget that the tokens always relate to a certain database with an image. So you do have the token, but let's say the image is not within the token; it's stored somewhere else. Um, so in terms of centralization, it always come back to what you have in your wallet. Uh, well, unfortunately, and and this is something that Vitalik Buterin stated um, a few weeks ago uh, when when he came down to Paris to do his, his symposium, was that we're starting to overcrowd uh, Ethereum blockchain with DeFi services. Right, yes. and we need to start looking into something different: um, social media platforms, uh, messaging, messaging apps, um, other things that are not based on DeFi. And what you're mentioning here, which is basically social media, decentralized social media, right? Yeah, um, is something that is still yet to come um, in yeah. a really established manner. But you need to take into account what that implies: is that um, we're talking about um, irrevocable transactions, and if you still have some sort of censorship, right, then it, it loses a bit its own purpose. So mm -hmm. establishing a social media platform is going to be quite a delicate challenge. And, you know, there, there are people that are trying um, and, and we'll eventually we'll get there. But it, it's important that we understand what that implies. When you have no censorship in a social media platform, things can go wrong. <laughs> things can go south. Yeah, really it's, it's like in parlor, right? They, they, I mean, it wasn't decentralized, but it's, it's kind of uh, when you say that things can go wrong, that's those type of exactly. things can happen, exactly. right? And yeah. and that's the purpose here. We need we need to find some sort of consensus, right? And that's the purpose also of blockchain is that we have this, let's say, democratic way of voting uh, through the system, trustless system, where where we can maybe reach a consensus. But that means that we really need to start thinking about okay, what you can and cannot post. You know, the day that I will have a kid, I don't want my you know, sixteen-year-old kid. If he's in the in the in, yeah. in blockchain, social media blockchain, starts seeing things that let's say he shouldn't be seeing, right? Yeah. And and I think you know, at a certain age, of course, <laughs> he'll do what he wants. But I think that it's an important thing that we need we need to uh, shape that. And I'm not saying yeah. that there should be a space for everything and everyone, right? As long as you know, you mm -hmm. don't you don't uh, disgrace human dignity, <laughs> of course. But um, th there should be a space where we have services for for everyone, um, and there should be uh, all, all this uh, diaspora of different offerings. But we need to work through that. And right now, we're still focused yeah. on DeFi. So that social media platform, Annie, that they will have it. I think we will be blessed. But the amount of work behind it, yeah, it's um, it's still yeah. It, it's even earlier than NFTs. I get that. But but at this intermediary point, maybe like even if it's centralized, but just you know belongs to you, like I don't know your own domain or your own email list, something. Because my problem is like, okay, you know, most of the things. Most of the audience that I have at the moment that is related to NFTs, I mean, taking into account that I'm, I haven't mentioned anything, so I'm not like, you know, in the role of an artist, right? Um, but still, most of the people that I have are on Twitter, right? Like, um, so unless I have my own website or, you know, my own email list or something, if if my Twitter account gets suspended, I will probably lose touch with most of them at and have to start from scratch again. So that that's what I meant in that sense. Like we, I think we needed some kind of backup to make sure that we don't completely depend on other sources uh, in our communication with our audiences. I think I think we under risk because indeed, I mean, I fully agree. Twitter is the main thing to go. If Twitter goes south, then yeah, you know, we all gonna have an issue. The, the interesting thing though is, um, I have rarely seen. And you know any other social media platform, a community that is so um, packed with tools to still be connected should Twitter go down. Just to look at, mm -hmm. for example, the Discord groups, right? I 
Yeah. I've never seen an industry having so many Discord groups. I, I open my yeah. screen. My God, I mean, the amount of notifications, it's staggering, right? And I'm not even talking <laughs> about um, Telegram and, and, and whatnot and other channels of communication that certain companies have, right? But well, if tell you just me about it. It's, it's, it's just, you know, it's this, it's, it's good to you, you mentioned that because the thing is like, I work in DeFi, right? So my, like, during the day work time, I live on Telegram. And, there you go. <laughs> exactly. uh, and and during my work related stuff, the Twitter feeds that I see are graphs, charts, DeFi tokens, APYs, and you know, all that stuff, right? And then, you know, you switch to your personal Twitter account and you know, and it's it's like, you know, and and you move from Telegram to Discord, basically. That's kind of my transition to like from from work to personal. And then instead of those charts, you see art, which is so much nicer. And then, you know, instead of Telegram communication, you see Discord, which is still very tricky for me. I still haven't really wrapped my head around it yet. Um, so it's still a bit confusing for me. But it's it's so different. Like it's 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 just two sides of the very similar stories when you look at it from that perspective. But but yeah, the style of communication, the type of people and where they communicate and how yeah. is is very different. Yeah. And I and I think that's the point is that you know, I think we've established so much foundational um, you know, groundwork and what the NFT community is starting to shape that you know, if one of our social media platforms goes down, we we have a backup. We have the Discord groups where we can reconnect. In the moment that we have a new social media platform, we will go back and populate it, and we will you know we will follow each other, and we have that. Um, but it's it's quite incredible to see that you know a social media community has established that backup because they're communicating and and trading and 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 collaborating through so many different means, right? And I don't find that in any other platform on social media. So it's it's mm -hmm. quite quite good to see. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, okay, I think we covered pretty loud, and I think it was very sort of you know useful and practical this time. So uh, and and way more structured than I usually am. So thank you, Penny. <laughs> it's uh, my, you know my pleasure, uh, Penny. All credit was Penny's. I'm I'm not. I mean, people who know me, they know I'm not so structured and prepared in advance. So this was kind of a very uh, workshop-like kind of you know, knowledge-packed <laughs> session. But uh, I want, I want to thank you, Annie, because, you know, what, what you do here is quite important. And it's just, you know, last word before before we leave the audience. But um, it's so difficult to find proper channels of information, right, about the NFT space in the crypto world. And I think it's crucial for artists that they have access to these kinds of podcasts. So first of all, you know, um, thank you from, from you know, in the name of a lot of people from the NFT community. Thank you very much for these podcasts. And, and again, you know, uh, thank you very much also. For, for this opportunity to just review some of the basics. And I really hope that this will be helpful for, for newcomers um, and maybe for people that have been in the industry for quite a while, but have maybe forgotten a few of the details. Uh, but again, you know, I, I'm looking forward to to more of your podcast. Last one with Iki uh, was insane. I really loved it. Um, and, you know, I, I'm super happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I really hope that, you know, what I do is, is useful because to be fair, like... Um, I, you know, me and you discussed this even on this podcast. There is really like a need to to plan your products, to have a certain roadmap, to have a plan. I have to be completely frank, guys. I don't have any of that yet. I'm I'm just scratching the surface surface, and I'm 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 kind of following the flow for now, and I, I'm just doing what I enjoy doing, 
by hopefully also bringing some value to the space. So for now, I really don't have anything like strategic and and structured yet. Um, but I feel like every time I'm getting a guest over, it kind of brings more ideas, it brings more connections, it brings, you know, um, a new audiences. So eventually, like, it's it's like... You know, you can't really touch it and you can't really fine tune it yet, but it's like boiling and cooking inside and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So Definitely. we'll see what comes out of it. But, but yeah, honestly, like I don't really have that thing, which is probably why the, the whole choosing platform or where to start thing is a bit tricky because everything is very vague and um, and I keep changing my original ideas, right? I'm getting an idea. I'm getting exciting about it. I start creating something and then I, I stumble up upon different challenges and I'm like, oh my God, like it was such a nice idea, but I can't make it myself because my skills are not enough or whatever, right? And then you start pivoting and then it gets modified. And, and at one point you even forget like what the original idea was because <laughs> yeah, it's so different. <laughs> so, but again, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not putting too much pressure on the whole thing and I'm just following the flow and we'll see where it leads us. But, you know, uh, during the journey, if it you know if it also brings value and is useful to some people uh you know um, i'm super happy that it does so yeah thank you for coming over and um i guess yeah that was it um everyone thank you very much for watching thanks penny for coming over and you, i guess we'll just wrap it up um and that's it goodbye everyone thank you and take care cheers bye thank you that's all that I had for you today. Thank you very much for listening. I truly appreciate every single one of you. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review because that would help the podcast grow. And to make sure that you're up to date with my articles as well, please subscribe to my newsletter at anialexander.com backward slash NFT rebels. Take care and I'll meet you in the next episode.